There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning. Hi-Fi Radio is back. Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Jack Hartle in studio. My wingman. And uh, yes, it is indeed well, time to talk politics about the legalization of marijuana in Canada. We're going to have Bruce Linton uh, on the line to talk to us about the status of well, legalization of just that, marijuana. Uh, Mike Walker is going to help us kick off the show. Uh, Mike's in New York, and we're going to talk about connectivity and Apple and all about limiting the time our kids spend on iPhones so they can do some homework. Hey, eh, Mike? Yeah. Hi, Wolfgang. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, thanks. You know, Mike Walker is a managing director at uh, Can Accord, senior equity analyst. Uh, Mike was ranked number two out of 3,600 analysts uh, by tip ranks. I don't know who they are, but number two out of 3,600. I don't care what you're doing. Good for you, Mike. Uh, you should be very proud of that uh, achievement of yours. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big year for the IoT and a lot of... A lot of stocks I covered that year went up 100 percent or more, so that always helps your stock picking as a sell side analyst. Hey, I'll take I'll take some uh, some some wind at my back. That's what my, my grandfather said, or my father in law said to me at my wedding. Uh, he said, "Wolf, may the wind be at your back." <laughs> there you go. Never forgot about that. But let's talk about this here. Uh, we we had a um, uh, a techie on a few weeks ago, uh, and uh, she had an app called Flipped, uh, and it basically was self allowing you to self regulate. Um, your, your uh, usage of your phone, so allowing you to basically focus. So it sort of power down various apps of yours that you would self-control, and then you could do your homework, stay focused, and then it would power back up. But uh, Apple's obviously offering a lot more ways people limit the time they spend on iPhones while introducing new features just designed to make its products even more indispensable. Can you talk about some of these uh, new innovative ideas Apple has? Yeah, I think Apple's aware of uh, you know a broader issue of you know productivity, whether it's you know, children trying to do homework or even adults in the workplace that um, people check their phone on average 50 or more times per day. Um, <laughs> and it really, you know, it breaks your concentration, hurts your productivity. So they've offered some solutions and also tools for parents to help limit uh, screen time to make it easier. I think there are some tools, but you have to be pretty techie to figure out how to limit the screen time, whereas now you can make it uh, easier to do, um, you know, turn off the phone during the school day except for, you know, making a call to parents or uh, or you know other issues you know, shut it off for a certain amount of time so you can focus on homework and other things so you know believe it or not a lot of apple executives have already been doing that with their own children knowing that uh, while the phones are great productivity tools and a lot of fun and other things it can certainly be a distraction and, and stunt your your ability to uh you know, do homework and concentrate by having something that's such a distraction and, you know, releases endorphins every time you get a Snapchat or a picture or something like that. So it's, uh, you know, it's good to kind of break the, you know, alter de- dependence on your phone, even though that drives Apple's business model. They're trying to give uh, people some tools to uh, to help help them out. Yeah. So, so have these developments been in the pipeline for a long time there, Mike, or is it, the, you know, the data breaches and the, uh, the bad press that, um, you know, uh, technology companies like Facebook are getting that are driving these reforms? <clears throat> I, th- I think it's more, you know, 
Apple just trying to make a tool easier for parents. It probably sells more phones and makes Apple easier for, for parents. I think it's as much of a, a tool in the toolkit. You know, most people will opt out and not limit their time, but it allows parents maybe as that new buyer of phones for their family um, to feel comfortable sticking with Apple. So I, I think it's just a, a, a smart marketing ploy and a tool in the toolkit to, uh, you know, to help people stay loyal to the Apple brand, just trying to make it easier for them to monitor and and you know, limit screen time for family members and even for businesses. They really want to, you know, get into businesses and to maybe even get it adopted in some workplace environments where, you know, I think a lot of people are not as productive as they could be at work uh, because they're always checking their, their phone. <laughs> and as Apple's been a, a fantastic investment, obviously. Warren Buffett's recently highlighted how profitable it is. I think it makes almost double the amount of profit of the next uh, largest company in terms of, uh, you know, market cap. So uh, what do you see going forward with Apple? Can it continue to grow? I think it can. Um, you know, kind of three things I think will help growth. Uh, one is uh, we believe there are going to be three new iPhones, um, and they're going to be lower priced. So I think that price less test of demand. The, the feedback, you know, the 11 or the iPhone 10, sorry, um, the component suppliers into there certainly didn't sell as many as they thought. There was a little overordering by Apple, so you could argue it wasn't as big a success as many thought it would be, but it did uh, make extreme profits given the price point. So I think Apple realizing maybe at that high price point, they could do better with a lower price point. So the expectation is going to be three new iPhones this fall, and they'll be less expensive on average. So you might have a larger screen OLED one that might be a little more expensive than the 10, but the 10 itself, the new version, will likely be $100 cheaper, and then there'll be a whole set of kind of improvements on a lower-end phone that will be less expensive also. So I think that drives the franchise on iPhones. You layer on top of that, their services business has been putting up strong growth. So you have a higher margin services business. You you take this a billion-plus installed base of iPhone users. um, They start uh, buying more and more things with their phone. That continues to be a growth driver. And then the massive capital returns, um, getting to cash flow neutral. That's a, a lot of stock buybacks that can take down the share. So, you know, if you put all three together, we think earnings continue to churn higher with you know unbelievable profits. It's still, you know, I still smile sometimes when Apple reports and they say, yes, it was a good quarter. We generated 25 billion in free cash flow during the quarter when the rest of my covered stocks won't do that combined in the whole year. Yeah, the Royal Bank, the biggest company in Canada, does about three billion a quarter, Mike. So that's a very good point. 25 billion dollars in, in, in free cash flow by Apple each and every quarter. Well, that's what makes that, that's what makes Apple the most valuable company in the world or just in America, Michael? Oh, it's in the world. Um, Most valuable company in the world. And it trades at basically a market multiple, right? It's not trading at 25 times earnings or 30 times earnings. It's, you know, it's it's a reasonable multiple. It's it's, it's a company's about just under a trillion dollars in value. Do you know who the number two company is in the world or in, in America? Uh, yeah, I think on, on market cap, we'd have to check. Uh, I think it's usually Amazon, uh, right. Google. Those guys are pretty close. So they're both just eight, around $800 million market cap. Uh, Apple's closing in on that uh, trillion market cap. The other guys so. are $800 billion. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. What, what's Exxon? Because it was always Exxon Mobil. Forever it was Exxon Mobil, right? Yeah, I and mean, they've, they've, I think the tech guys passed them quite a, quite a few years ago. Big time, yeah. Yeah, and just to clarify, the $25 billion is usually their seasonally strong fourth quarter. It's not quite every quarter, but you know, a bad quarter for them is still tens of billions of dollars. So I just wanted to clarify that, that $25 billion. Hey, look, st- stand by, Mike. We're going we're gonna to run a few spots around here and get right okay. back. I want to talk about the developer conference that that's, uh, took place and tell us what, uh, what, what, what came out of that, if you don't mind. All right, right here on Hi-Fi Radio, Mike Walkley on the line from New York talking Apple and connectivity. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to learn something. 
Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to iFi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, my wingman. On the line, we have Mike Walkley. He is a star analyst with Canaccord Genuity, uh, Internet of Things, uh, and Connectivity. We're talking Apple, and uh, we're going to maybe talk a little bit about Connectivity as well in here. Um, 2017, uh, Mike, was the first year that smartphone, smartphone unit shipments didn't grow at all. Uh, however, people are still increased the amount of time they spend online. U.S. adults now spend about six hours a day uh, on digital media. And what, what really blows my mind is is the dominance of Google and Facebook in the online ad business. Uh, no different really than, than Apple. Apple basically garners the, the, the lion's share of profits when it comes to smartphone. And two players uh, dominate the online uh, advertising space. So we've been playing a few Beatles songs um, leading into this because uh, I want to speak about, uh, to you about another silo of business. And, and then share with us, please, all the silos of business or, or levers, as you, as you like to say, that, that Apple uh, has at its disposal. Um, of course, the, the, the ecosystem was, was key to the longevity of Apple. But is that still the case? Is, is music and entertainment still a big driver for this business? You spoke about services uh, uh, with Apple, but uh, uh, what are the silos and, and, and what are the key growth drivers in those silos, Mike? Yeah, so what's, what's amazing about Apple is they have multiple business units within Apple that would be standalone Fortune 300 or better companies, um, just showing the power of, of Apple. I mean, so much focus is on their iPhones because that generates you know, the lion's share of their profit dollars. Um, just to put in perspective, in calendar 17, they, the revenue from iPhones, just the hardware, was about $150 billion. So that's clearly a big driver. But you, you, know, you, you peel back the onion, you look at the growth drivers. You know, for calendar 18, we're expecting strong growth in their services business. Uh, I think they'll do roughly $40 billion in services. And services could have even better growth over time as you have a growing installed base of iPhone users. They're spending more money you know, in the stores now on different things. And, you know, there's the Apple's coming out with their first you know, content. So if you start selling content, you know, home developed content, you know, that could create a whole new level of growth for the services business. Um, you have the watch business that's, you know, the best selling watch on the planet now is, is, is Apple. Huh. So, so, yeah, they've out, you know, they've kind of highlighted at this developer conference recently that, you know, they've surpassed any other watch brand out there in terms of units. Uh, they don't break it out separately, but, you know, we think they're going to sell, you know, mainly maybe 10 to $11 billion worth of uh, watches in calendar 18. $11 billion of Apple watches? It's been a huge challenge wait, 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 for Swiss watchmakers. It's, it's been one of those things that they're saying, you know what, technology is replacing us. We're getting disrupted. Is that right? Absolutely. I was in yeah. Copenhagen. I picked myself up a Scoggin watch. A very, very nice watch. Mike a Scoggin. Yeah. But boy, it doesn't do much other than look good and tell time. Right, that, that, exactly. You know what's incredible? Well, you you, 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 the Jack and I were boasting as to how great these cameras are on these telephones. Uh, telephone. You know? Telephone. <laughs> telephone. <laughs> <Yeah. A> tele- <laughs> Dating myself. Um, but how, how incredible these, these cameras are on these phones. Um, what, what has happened? Do you, do you have any idea in terms of the numbers, in terms of uh, the, the hardware for photography, in terms of 
traditional cameras. Uh, are sales on the massive decline in that category, Mike? Any idea? Yeah, it's been on a steady decline as the camera technology and phones continues to get better and better. And yeah, I'm not sure what's going to be the new iPhones, but we've seen you know, technology. I cover a company called Siva that uh, makes some uh, advanced technology on the chipset side. And we've seen you know, in some phones, mainly some Chinese phones, actually, um, to try to differentiate on the camera ability, just some amazing things you can do with camera technology now in phones. And, you know, Apple's usually not the leader in a lot of categories. They're a fast follower. They just use their premium brand and add features once they're proven out. And, you know, seeing some of the upcoming camera technology, I would imagine, you know, your future iPhones will be even better with the things you can do. You know, a lot of their development conference also was around this augmented reality. So I think you're going to see, you know, more and more artificial intelligence into phones, augmented reality, improved games, and I think it, that's going to drive more people buying content and games and streaming. We have 5G coming, which is going to make even faster speeds to phones. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for Apple to continue to grow their strong iPhone franchise steadily, but really it's the services that layer on top of that that should drive margin expansion and overall continued growth for the company. So even though it's approaching this trillion-dollar market cap, which would be the first stock ever to hit there, um, that's why we have a buy on it. We think there's still a lot of levers with cash returns and new service uh, opportunities to continue to take Apple stock higher. You know, it's amazing because I saw a chart uh, about adoption of technology recently, and it took Americans about 80 years to adopt the dishwasher. Uh, to adopt the iPhone, what, a couple years, basically, and smartphones, very, very little time. Let's talk about mobile payments, but as well, because those credit card stocks are continue to power higher, uh, Visa, MasterCard specifically, when they were basically demutualized or spun out from the banks. I don't know why the banks ever sold those assets or great assets. Because they had to. Yeah, they that's had right, to that's in right. financial stress. They that's... sold what they could, and they were the best assets they had in the books. So, so what about um, Apple getting into the mobile payment business, Mike? Did, is there a lot of chatter about that? Is that a growth area for them? Are they going to go down that road? Yeah, no, they, they partner with the credit card companies, but uh, certainly they take take some of the profit from the credit card companies, and it's part of that services growth. They continue to expand into more locations and then into more countries worldwide. So it's part of that services growth driver. I mean, services is a big bucket. There's a lot of things in there. Um, you know, they get paid by Google for making Google a search engine on your iPhone. So like, that's in services. They have their own content coming. You know, of course, they have you know Apple Music now with a, you know, a growing subscriber base at $10 a month. So that, you know, people pay for storage. So there's a lot of things. Yeah, that's that Storage one. I mean, I'm not sorry, but I go interrupt it because every time I turn my darn phone on, they say you have to store it, please, and I don't want it because you know why? Because I get my store for free from Google. So what gives? Well, you know, it's not a big fee, but uh, it's just part of their you know being in the ecosystem. If you want to back up your phone, um, and you know. You, you don't have to pay for it. You can you back it up on your computer, but then you have to do that pretty often. But if you lose your phone, um, it's all saved in the cloud, so you can get all your contacts, everything back. So you know, a lot of consumers are willing to pay that couple-dollar fee to, to get that that storage, you know, maybe they'll go to free at some point because, you know, they lower prices due to competition and choices out there. But, uh, you know, that's a small piece of their business too is just uh, cloud backup and extra storage. Mike said um, $25 billion per quarter uh, that they're generating on their best quarter, which is important. But sure. Warren Buffett, when he was talking about Apple, he says how, th- how times have changed, you know, all their products actually just fit on one kitchen table. 
right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, that's so right. So they have they have these services, the services platform plus all the iPhones and computers. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, all of the products on, yeah, yeah, because Jack and I, Jack and I own Newell Rubbermaid. There's another stock. I don't know what the market yeah. cap of Newell is, maybe 15 billion. But good golly, how many SKUs of product they have? They have yeah. tens. Or of you thousands. talked about you talked about Exxon, right? How much oil do they have in the ground over vast amounts of land? Yeah, right? around the world. Yeah, but Apple, all their products. Yeah, yeah, a couple phones, dynamic couple company, yeah, unbelievable. Very, very dynamic, yeah, it must be a lot of fun for you to watch that company, Mike. And uh, I'll tell you, you've, you've been great keeping us uh, keeping us long the stock. Stock's about 190 bucks right now. Sorry, what's your price target on it? Uh, price target's 208. Uh, was uh, last time we wrote a note. That's our price yeah. target. 208. We're one of the higher ones on the street. And you know, I think to the point that services continues to grow, you could see a re-rating of the multiple. Um, a lot of a lot of our competitors have kind of hold ratings on it. Have missed this move because they look at just total iPhone unit sales and, and treat it as a hardware stock and just give it a lower than market multiple. But, you know, but we've, the reason we've argued for a higher multiple and our price target's been above um, a lot of our competitors is, you know, I've covered the smartphone market to kind of date myself here about 20 years. And what's different with Apple is because of this loyal consumer base and ecosystem, it's not like all of a sudden we're going to see Samsung come out with a new widget and everyone's going to switch to Samsung. There's pretty high switching costs, all your contents with Apple. And um, Apple has literally like a 96% retention rate or loyalty rate. So seldom do we see um, consumers switch from Apple once they're in that ecosystem. And I think that's what's different today than the old days in the handset market where Motorola could come out with a new thing like the Razor and all of a sudden they, they have their hot stock for a year and then Nokia comes back with X stock or BlackBerry does something. It's it's really different today. So I, I look at the hardware businesses more sticky with a huge installed base that's going to upgrade it every couple years as they, they you know get tired of their product and want to upgrade to a new one or their battery you know degradates to the point that you know they decide it's better to buy a new phone than to try to switch the battery, et cetera. Indeed. I remember that Hello Moto. Uh, yeah. That was amazing marketing, but it wasn't enough to get the product off the shelf, was it? Brilliant marketing could not do it. So style superseding substance sometimes, but boy, when it comes to technology, you better deliver the goods if you want to survive in that game. Mike Walkley, uh, analyst with uh, Apple at Canaccord Genuity, a real treat to have you on the line. Keep up the great work, and we're going to stay long the stock and hopefully make a little bit more money. Helping you do just that here on Hi-Fi Radio Show about money. Jack Harlan's studio. Uh, we are going to have a surprise uh, appearance, hopefully by Brad Lamb today, and we are going to speak with Bruce Linton right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Bruce Linton. On the line with Canopy Growth, uh, Bruce, well, you were the first publicly traded marijuana stock ever, correct? Yeah, we were the first publicly traded federally licensed marijuana stock ever on TSXV, then the TSX, then in the Composite Index, and now on the New York Stock Exchange. 
on the New York Stock Exchange. Very interesting. And yet, all this in 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 the last four years, like you, you, the, the, this company was what founded in in two thousand and four. Your company, Canopy Growth, by the way, Bruce Litton on the line, Canopy Growth, President, CEO. Co-founder, uh, yes, but in 2014, but you've created a monster in four years, just a monster. Well, it's yeah, remarkable. You know, the official the official time count goes back to 2012. I was uh, I had this idea that it would be a good idea to do what we're doing, and so I started asking people, "Do you want to do this with me?" And the first uh, four or so said, "You have lost your marbles. This is a bad idea." And uh, that confirmed to me it was probably a good idea because they were pretty normal and rational people. And if they were going to be captivated by the prohibitionist history and therefore stay away from it, it meant I would have fewer competent competitors. So kind of doubled down and went harder. Yeah. But let's talk about Constellation Brands now because they own 10% of your company. They are the purveyors. It is Corona beer, correct? They imported, I think, into the U.S. Yeah, the whole Corona U.S. is theirs up here. It's uh, somebody else. But they're also... uh, you know, you might have Miomi as a uh, nice Pinot. That's them. Uh, they own a huge array of brands from, uh, you know, Manischewitz to Miomi, uh, Corona for the U.S., uh, Modelo. They do about $8.5 billion, I guess, uh, U.S. in revenue off of uh, the various lines. Because you mentioned that you were going to be creating um, uh, beverages, uh, marijuana-infused or THC-infused beverages. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. You know, it's um, right now in Canada and most of the world, as you, you go to recreational choice or adult access. Um, The reason people are going to consume cannabis is very similar to the reason they might buy alcohol, which is a social lubricant, a mood modifier, and the the socially normal form for that is a bottle with a beverage inside of it. And so why, why try to tell society to do something different when we can actually make something better? Hey, a stock that's been getting a lot of attention uh, on my screens. Again, I got a few clients who are in California, so they, uh, the marijuana uh, space is very interesting to them. And to get access to marijuana companies in the states has been difficult. So they call Canada. Um, but what uh, MedMen uh, uh, very very focused on retail in the United States. I was on their website and major major expansion plans. I assume you're very familiar with that business. Oh yeah, no, I've met with Adam, and I know their their business. It's um, it's amazing how. Every other form of retail on the planet is going the way of the dodo bird. But if you're in the marijuana retail business, uh, your market cap uh, for doing about $4 million in revenue is about $2 billion. So bricks and mortar uh, works for marijuana still? Well, I think it's just a bit of cray-cray as well, too, right? Like, I get it. If you go to an Apple store or you go to a Lululemon store, people say, well, I want, I want to build a store like that. Unless you actually make the underlying products and can subsidize the point-of-sale costs that you incur by having them overstaffed and oversized, yeah. you can't make money. And so I think the way Tweed's doing it is we've been granted stores uh, in four or five provinces across the country. Mm-hmm. And when you vertically integrate, I can make it so that my retail experience is intended to be about um, education, loyalty, brand experience. And I don't actually have to make a profit at the point of sale because when I vertically integrate it, I actually make loads of profit. You're a smart man. Um, You're a smart. Uh, Bruce, just stand by. No, stand by. I want to hold that thought. We've got to pay some bills around here, but uh, we've got a lot of time. I want to spend with you on on the the show. Hi-Fi Radio, Jack Harlan Studio, Wolfgang Klein, your host. Going to pay some bills and get right back with Bruce Linton, President, CEO, co-founder of Canopy Growth, right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
There you go, Bruce. Little uh, nice. little narcos for you, my friend. Um, you, you were such a pioneer when you started this uh, just a few years ago, and uh, you, you had no fear that maybe uh, the thugs were going to, uh, you know, uh, challenge you a little bit on this. And what are you doing well, with the marijuana you know, industry? I, I would say, I would say at the beginning, uh, there was a lot more. Uh, questions, concern, police oversight, you know, it's still quite regulated. But ultimately, this is a federal decision, and it's going to happen. And I think, um, you know, if uh, there is a criminal element uh, which doesn't have to abide the rules, they'll just redeploy their capital to other things, because there's no shortage of places you can make money if you don't have to follow laws. Right. And so I really don't know that this is... And this has been a tougher business, right, for the, the criminal element. They're still doing okay in Canada, but... With all those U.S. states legalizing, even though it's federally illegal, that's meant the export market's been diminished quite a lot. And uh, what we're seeing and hearing from the street is... So you mean the export market from Canada to the United States? Yeah, Yeah. right. I I, I was told that was one of our biggest exports. Especially in in B.C., for sure. Especially in B.C., bud, heading down to the United States was massive. It is, and you're still seeing, like, if you said which provinces are moving the least quickly to jump on this, probably British Columbia, but they have the most to lose. (laughs) They have probably six or eight billion dollars of illicit transactions that originate in BC with production. But uh, out in BC, there, Bruce. Out in BC, though, you just actually uh, developed a a 70 acre facility, I understand, Uh, all under glass. Yeah, so. Yeah, so all under glass, I think BC Bud's going to be a big brand, mm-hmm. but I don't think the illicit market's going to do as well because what, when we talk about Bill C-45, which is uh, up for the Senate today, it, it connects the dots on a whole bunch of things, including uh, the ability for police to enforce, if you have more than 30 grams and it's for sale uh, to youth or non-youth markets, these are real penalties now. Right. And the reason that it's going to start happening is, you know, you go out right now today and try to buy a, a jar of moonshine, you can't do it. <laughs> And the reason you can't do it is that's now income to the provincial and federal governments. And I think what you're going to find with cannabis is that when they have an interest in an income that comes from cannabis, they're going to have enforcement. For sure. And, and his, yeah, So you think enforcement is going to go up, Bruce? Is that what you're saying? Oh, God, yeah. For sure. Really? Because you're stepping on the government's wallet now. Well, they have incentives, wow. yeah, for sure. The, 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 the message has been clear. The intent of regulating cannabis is to diminish the black market or illicit market's income, to message and educate youth and keep it out of the hands of youth and make sure they understand what it's actually about. And in order to do that, they have to have tight regulation and stronger enforcement. So, And it kind of all hangs together. Isn't that something? So so what kind of security do you have on your facility? You've got 70 acres out in BC, uh, 30 yeah. acres planted right now. So what kind of security are you required and do you have on your facility? So across the country, every site's sort of similar in that it has a whole bunch of detection methods that if you get near the fence, try to touch the fence, move near the building, uh, we have everything from uh, contact to action, uh, motion sensors. We have cameras that cover every inch of the exterior and interior of the buildings. On glass greenhouses, we have a variety of mechanisms that will detect if a glass is broken. And then we have a variety of uh, laser technologies that will determine if you break a laser and come in. And so it's, it is a very well-fortified uh, environment that can actually understand who's trying to get in and when. And then we have inside so that the product doesn't disappear through an employee's hand, an obligation to keep track of every plant, every gram, and that you can't have shrinkage. There can't be a diversion. And so we get, we've had over 200 inspections by officials from Health Canada over the last call it five years across eight locations, to confirm that we know where everything is and that things aren't coming and going willy-nilly. 
And it's a pretty tight system, which means that it does have the chance that if what we grow sells, it will directly squeeze out the illicit market because there's no way for them to enter our business. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Bruce, let's talk supply and demand. Um, Jack was speaking with our analyst. Um, uh, it was Neil Maruka. Oh, Neil, actually, Neil yeah. Maruka, yeah. And yep. uh, supply and demand, uh, con- consumption in Canada right now is about 450, correct me where I'm wrong, 450,000 kilos are consumed annually in That's Canada. That's in the black market. In the black market. Uh, but the, yeah. the, the legal market, the, uh, the, the licensed uh, producing market, currently is capable of producing about 300,000 keys. Uh, but that is then to be built out and expanded out in a couple of years to about within one year to nine hundred to nine hundred thousand. That's what's funded. Keys. So, it, but it, it, it appears that when we go legal, there's going to be a shortfall of cannabis bud, and a couple of years out, there is going to be a glut of bud on the marketplace. Um, yeah, and as such, if there's a glut, I would think prices would fall dramatically. Some some of that is medical marijuana, though, too. I think when you're when you're looking at the yeah. nine hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sort of three things on it. One is. Uh, when the government calls you and asks do you or currently or have you in the last 12 months illegally purchased cannabis, um, I bet you don't say yes even if you did. So I, I'm always unsure that the baseline numbers are sound, so let's take them with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, the products that we sell starting out are going to be dried cannabis, dried cannabis rolled into uh, joints, and liquid cannabis, but what, it cannot be used in a uh, form of those vape pens. So we're not going to have oral ingestibles, meaning edibles or liquids, and we're not going to have vapable concentrates. So it probably means that we're matching up with half-ish of the illicit market. And then we're going to have people who like following rules who might buy some because they, they want to try it, so they're going to have to buy it. So who knows what the scope of that market is, but it's quite a few people. What happens in the second half of 2019 is that the uh, regulations will enable us to create those products I described that aren't currently available. So that will mean that we go more directly to the illicit market and expand what we offer. Mm-hmm. By that point in time, uh, you're going to have two types of companies. Uh, ones which have distribution agreements with all the liquor authorities in the country, which Canopy has in every province that's announced we're the only company with that. And then they're going to be big enough that they will have actually created new products. So you know, talked about constellation and beverages. There's going to be a diversity of new products where the growing of the flower will really be the growing of the ingredient. And what we create out of that ingredient will have a very different economic profile than the price of the flour. And I think over time, uh, and not a terribly long time, if the price of the cannabis flour drops, my profits actually will increase because I'm not going to be in the business of selling primarily dried flowers. I'm going to be in the business of primarily selling medically defined outcomes, which go to gel caps or other formulations, and go through drug identification number processes. Or I'm going to be f- selling finished packaged goods, which have maybe some bubbly water, a beautiful glass bottle, and a cap on it. And the proportion of active ingredient represents a smallish part of the total sale price. Interesting. And so the farming bit is going to be a bad bit. The small guys will be okay because they'll make small batches and it'll be unique. Uh, Canopy, I think, should be fine because we have scale, scope, and a vision. And then I hate to be the rest. Isn't that something? Well, stand, stand by, Bruce. I want to, I want to continue on the uh, topic of uh, legalizing marijuana in Canada, supply, demand, bud to gummies, everything in between. Bruce Linton, uh, President, CEO, co-founder of Canopy Growth, uh, on the line with us uh, here on Hi-Fi Radio. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back to you after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Buffalo Soldier 
Yeah, you've been fighting, eh, Bruce? Bruce Litton on the line here with us, President, CEO, co-founder of Canopy Growth, the world's largest uh, marijuana company, I guess. Um, just a fascinating, fascinating uh, unfold of story. Uh, so, uh, Bruce, uh, Jack and I, you know, as portfolio managers for our growth clients only, and out of all the sectors in the last, let's say, 10 years, gee whiz, we've gotten a ton of calls on marijuana companies and sure. uh, listeners or clients of ours asking us about these, you know, micro cap names, little companies with, of, of $50 million value that, that came from, uh, Three hundred thousand dollars, you know, up up a hundred x, and of course after the spike, they they all won in because it was talk at the weekend party. Uh, Jack and I did basically just traded the index. We bought the HMMJ for our clients. Uh, we bought that HMMJ uh, very very timely. We bought it last October, uh, I think at around thirteen bucks. Mm-hmm. January of this year, it just galloped seven eight days in a row up, you know, eight percent a day. We said this is just insane. Sell it, and we did, and we got a double out of it, or we get hundred percent gain on it. It recently pulled back, and so. So you know what we did, Bruce? We sold the Royal Bank. And I was on BNN talking about this, and, and it's just classic. But we sold the Royal Bank. Not a lot of it. It's a little bit of the Royal Bank possession because we needed to raise cash to buy the HMMJ back. Uh, today, we actually trimmed a little bit of Manulife to add to the trade. Um, as, you know, and, and the one company, you know, if I wouldn't buy the index, I'd buy the one company would be yours because you are the leader. And I believe in buying the leader. The the issue I've, you know, if I've had with your company is because you're the leader. You're also the most expensive in terms of valuation. And well, uh, quality, there's a price to pay for top quality. And that's exactly what you are. Um, so in, in, in terms of, you know, let's, let's talk about retail investing here in, in, ter- in terms of your space. Uh, buy on rumors, sell on news, or can you continue, do you think, to, to buy the news of when it becomes legal? Uh, well, I, I think, so I agree with your advice. I actually have a baseball cap in front of me that says HMMJ, and I was the only cannabis company that showed up at the ringing of the bell. And the reason I did is I've been telling anybody who hasn't been a successful or active stock picker in the past, please, for the love of God, with marijuana, at least buy the index. And it's not a fully, truly uh, index coverage in that they cap the total exposure they'll have to one name, so I don't fully reflect in it, but I think I at least give them some coverage. Yeah. And so I think if you actually want the index and coverage, you buy both uh, in some ratio R's and that, because then you do actually get the equivalent of an index. But um, so what weight you do know, you have? What, what, sorry, sorry to interrupt you here, Bruce. Uh, in the HMMJ, which is an exchange traded fund and ETF, so it's a yep. basket of marijuana stocks, and included in that is the Miracle, Scott's Miracle Grow. That one I don't totally right. get. Sort of do, sort of don't. I'm sure you could use that to to fertilize uh, the weeds that you're growing. Um, but what, what weighting do you have? Does Canopy Growth have in the well, index so right now? cap. I haven't looked at uh, where we would be uh, as an, uh, if it was an ETF. You would just have an exact proportion of ownership in that as the representation of market cap in the fund. Right. But I, th- I think what you'll find is they put a cap of not, not I, greater than 10% I think of their it's 10%, assets yeah. allocated. And when they first came out, uh, we would have been at least another six or seven points above that. Yep. Um, I can't say that I've looked at the basket now because I've, I've accepted that that's probably prudent for the type of investor who wants to hold a somewhat ETF, but not truly an ETF. You know why they did that to you, Bruce? You know who to blame for that one? Nortel. Yeah, it's Nor- Nortel Networks. That's who you blame for that one because Nortel Networks, they just allowed it to run. They never capped uh, its position in the index. And then when people bought the index yeah. and Nortel went down, they got walloped. And that's where people began yeah. capping inside an ETF. And but- I, I, don't, I don't think it's, uh, it's a bad move. No. But I think what you're going to find is from your, your you know, you described the ones at the party. What's going to happen is uh, the question on sell on news or not. Um, you can probably get a bit of run and do a trade, but I think anybody who moves up more than a third of their position will be regretting it in that 
um, over the next 14 months, I suspect what's going to happen is the stock markets are going to go from voting in what they're in favor of to start weighing who's a real business. Right. And when I say that, that's going to be a direct translation of top line, bottom line, yeah. market share. Show me the money and, now. Uh, yeah, and so I, in the way we've run this, we've been extremely clear from day one that our intention is not to be profitable until such time as the market accelerates. It's accelerating starting this summer. And the reason for that is if I would have trimmed expenditures two years ago uh, to have an ambition for a 30-plus percent market share would have been impossible because we wouldn't have created the assets necessary. So I've told yeah. people from day one that if you want profits and a dividend, buy a bank. If you want domination, buy Canopy. Yeah, well, look, you know, Amazon's taking that to, to, to extreme, and uh, obviously you're playing the long game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and I've used the Amazon stock chart probably 100 times in my presentation ah, to explain yeah, it. That's funny. Share. Isn't that funny? So, Good for you. So, well, Bruce. Earnings per share have to show up, and you have to show investors there's the potential, but you don't have an obligation to sustain it if you have a better use than just making a profit. Yeah, fair enough. So, so Bruce, in Canada, you probably created more wealth than any individual. What, what do you tell to the retail investor out there right now uh, that hasn't created that wealth, but they're actually looking into the space right now? Uh, they see these high valuations. What would your recommendation be for them? Well, I think kind of what you guys talked about. I would uh, probably carry a third or half of mine in uh, like an HMMJ, and I would pick the quality because you know what happens. If you look actually at the names behind the new ones, um, Google them, and they probably were digging for silver, gold, or cut oh, trees down or drilling holes for oil. 100%. Right? This, is, this, this has attracted the press release crowd now. And there's quite a lot of value in creating press releases, but usually they're for the people who own the stock early and sell it after the press release. Yep, the promoters, yep. Uh, yep. What you're going to find is that there's at least one company that we put press releases out when we've concluded the action so that the shareholders are aware of what we've done, not anticipate what we'll do so we can trick into paying before we do it. Yeah. And that's been the intent since day one because I, like, I don't like press machine uh, kind of companies. I like companies that do stuff. Well, yeah. you, you don't want to have so, your, ba- your space get a bad rap, that's for sure. Well, it's going to, you know, what's going to happen is there's going to be a whole bunch of crying. And um, people say, well, will that be bad for you? I say, well... I actually used Google quite extensively before it was a public company, and you couldn't even denominate your billing in Canadian dollars. You had to pay in U.S. dollars, and they couldn't even geo-target where I wanted to go, but it was the best platform in the sector, and I thought it was a pretty good one when they went public. There was a lot of the crap out there, and still Google is a pretty good company. So I think what you'll find is that, like all sectors, there's a shakeout. Uh, the crying happens, and the quality uh, actually gets a better playing opportunity. Yeah, because consolidation can take place. Yeah. Well, look, uh, Bruce Lynn, we're going to, again, have to keep keep you coming back on air with us, keep us up to speed. You're doing a great job. Congratulations on all of your success. You obviously have a lot of passion in the space, and you're doing it because you love it, and I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, Bruce Lynn, President, CEO, and Co-Founder of Canopy Growth. Uh, coming up next, we're going to uh, have a little surprise guest, Brad Lamb. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Brad, why don't you buy that song? Uh, you can afford it. We're talking about store value. Last time we had you, just go buy the song. This could be your song. Is it actually for sale? I don't know. I'm sure it has a price. Hmm. Eh. Anyway, trade it for a couple of rubies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is it worth a ruby? Yeah. It's, a, it's a great tune. Uh, anyways, Brad Lamb's in studio. Uh, 
president of Bradland Development. Um, Jack brought something to my attention a couple weeks ago. I want to talk to you about this here. Uh, builders in Toronto's frenzied condo market are walking away uh, from towers that they pre-sold, reflecting a rougher road to profits and leaving buyers in the lurch. Uh, how familiar are you with this story? How common is this issue? No, I'm very familiar with that. It, you know, this is misinformation by the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so really, so what happens is that, um, so there's two issues at hand here. The one you, you brought up is a potential issue, which is, uh, sold it in a different market than building it, mm-hmm. and so there's a cost difference, and yep. you can't you can't uh, build it, uh, borrow money, a bank won't lend you the money to build it because your margins are close to zero. But the bigger issue at hand is um, it mostly uh, is a result of the contracts the contracts uh, expiring. So every real estate contract has to have a dead date. Every every project has to have a start date, an economic viability date, a finance date. Um, and a zoning date. So the reality in Toronto is, um, and, and this is because uh, banks won't lend us any money unless we have sold it to 70% approximately. Then we can borrow a self-liquidating loan, which means there's enough money in the sales we've pre-sold to get the bank out of the risk. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's how it has to happen in Canada. So so we have to start selling at an early stage, earlier than we'd like. We'd really like to start selling when we're building and finish when it's done because you get more money. Mm-hmm. But we have to do it earlier. So uh, it's all a timing game, and if you're thrown off timing-wise, then you can go underwater. So the reality here is that uh, the projects, in, in most cases, um, had a date that said if the developer is, does not have zoning in place and financing in place um, and, uh, and sales of 70% in place, then the contract is dead. And then what happens? Well, then they have to give all the money back. They can't ah. build the project. You can't build a project. I see. How much, you how much of go- this is based off of government approvals? So government's dragging their their heels to, you know, uh, get those approvals that you need for whatever it is, for zoning or whatever the case. Well, it would be all that. So huh. so I'm not sure that the, the one in Vaughan, I'm, I, I've never worked in Vaughan. I don't know how hard it is you to work. Maple Creek Road and Highway 7? That's yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know how hard it is to get approvals in Vaughan. I have no idea. But I'll tell you, in Toronto, it's miserable. It, it, it takes, uh, it should take a year a uh, year and a half, it takes four years. So the places are sold before huh. they have all the final approvals? Yeah. I mean, you could sell a building two years before you have final, final approval. So you're selling at 700 a foot, and uh, everything's risen $150 a foot. And by Including the way, your cost. You're talking about your cost. cost. Right? Yeah. And by the way, the city, every three years, doubles levies. Levies aren't a small item. Uh, One-bedroom levy to pay the city is now forty. Is coming up to $40,000 for a one-bedroom. Now, if you're building, if you're selling one bedroom at three or four hundred thousand dollars, which these guys are doing, that's ten percent of the price. It's just one cost. And are you kidding? No. Forty thousand dollars per bedroom is a levy. And what what are the levies used for? Well, they're they're used for the city to fund um, cities' business. I mean, they're supposed to be used for. Are they designed for a purpose like a yeah, specific? They're purpose? They're supposed to be for improvements. But I want to ask you. Let's go back to the zoning issue here, Brad. Are you telling me if I were to purchase a, a, a new condo that has not been built yet, built yet, uh, I could be putting money on the table, and yet the the developer may not, in fact, get zoning approval? In most cases, I'm going to say, in most cases, a year ago and prior to that, it was almost always a situation. That was the situation back oh, then. Yes, and now wow. now what developers have learned is that because the because of the zoning arc is so long now. We don't want to cancel projects. We don't want to get the media, you know, buzzing around our business. So, and we don't want upset buyers. So, we're now choosing to not sell until we're rezoned or very, very close to rezoning. If we have a deal with the city and we know it's imminent, then 
then uh, people will start selling. So it's it's. It, by the way, all this adds cost to housing. Pardon me. All of this adds cost. Of course, to it does. All of these delays, whether they're intentional, and I think many of them are intentional by the city of Toronto, uh, or just because the city of Toronto is busy, which is also a reason. Um, you know, they're all affecting the bottom line for buyers, making it more expensive. This is not a developer cause problem. I understand. It's a bottleneck red tape cause problem. That is not good news. How do we fix those problems, Brad? You got to fire every councillor and get a new mayor. So I think, personally, I think the system's broken. I don't think, when it comes to real estate, I think those folks are doing a, a decent job on all the other matters they're dealing with. When it comes to real estate, there's broken telephone. They're not listening to us as developers. They think that uh, you know it's a golden uh, road for, for billions and, uh, of dollars, and they don't understand the risk and the stress that we go through and the difficulty of this job, and they don't understand how much more difficult they make our job day by day, and I don't think they care. So I think there needs to be a complete change in how we do real estate in Toronto. Brad Lamb's in studio with us. He's the president of Brad Lamb Development. Um, how many units have you now built in your career? Individual individual bedrooms? Um, probably around 3,000. You built 3,000 units. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Your brother gave me an interesting stat, too. The, the place on King Street, uh, the width of that lot is, what, 60 feet? The depth is 170. That was basically once considered a suburban lot. He said, but on that suburban lot now, you have housed, what, 250 families? Yeah, Theater Park was a actually was a was a was a, f- a park for Upper Canada College, the original college. We used to be down there, and um, so it never was developed ever. It was a it was a lawn for, oh. for, for the for the school, and then it was a parking lot. Mm-hmm. We bought it as a parking lot. It was sixty feet wide and and two hundred feet deep, and we developed. Uh, th- almost uh, 280,000 square feet on the site. That's remarkable. Uh, that very, very environmentally friendly. By the way, think about it. By the way, just so you know, mm-hmm. when I took that project to the city of Toronto, the planner on the file said, "Would you like me to write a refusal report right now? Because this is this is going to happen over my dead body." <laughs> and your response was, "Well, we had a two and two and a half year fight to get that building approved. And if it wasn't for Adam Vaughn, the councillor at the time, who mm-hmm. loved the project and thought it was totally appropriate, mm-hmm. it never would have happened." Yeah. Well, the project looks good now. I see it from my office, and uh, well, you're housing another 250 people in Toronto, 250 families in Toronto. So, Brad Lamb, it's a treat to have you in the studio. Keep up the great work, and uh, may we one day cross paths in Tuscany. You just never know, my friend. Hi-Fi Radio, a pleasure to bring you the show each and every week. Thank you. been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.